Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 53, I believe, of the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. And uh, we have got uh, a cool show lined up for today. Of course, uh, the Sandusky High Miler coming up today and tomorrow. Um, We'll try to update you and have as much info from that as we can on next week's show. But we thought this week... Uh, we would go and um, take ourselves over to Canada and talk to uh, a driver who I think is one of the more exciting drivers to ever sit in a super modified. And now he also sits in a sprint car, which I can't even imagine what that's like to watch. Uh, Dave McKnight Jr. is our guest uh, on this show this week. And um, Dave, I'm going to just get this started right off by taking us all the way back to the mid-70s and um, the year 1977, actually. Um, Warren Conium comes out with a Kempton Dates chassis of his own uh, ownership and paints it white, puts a 46 on it, and reminds all of us of the Rutledge Rocket days from from the past. And uh, one of the other Dates chassis that roll off the line at that same time was uh, a car that went to your dad for John Spencer to drive. It was one of the most beautiful supermodifieds I've ever seen uh, when they brought it to the track, number six. And... um, That was the first that those of us at the Oswego Speedway, at least on the fan side, had ever heard the name Dave McKnight. Uh, Can you talk about uh, those days for a moment and and kind of how you got introduced to the sport in general? Because I'm assuming you were pretty young in those days. Oh, boy, I was. That's going back, Tom. Uh, Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was all of. 16 I was gonna say yeah 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 I was just a just a kid and it's just kind of funny because my dad uh always uh you know being involved with Jack Greedy and uh Harvey Lennox and all those back in the day you know he was familiar with the supers and uh you know with me racing carts and doing a few things prior to that that car coming on board uh the whole plan for that project was uh, we were going to get a super modified. Uh, Johnny Spencer was involved in helping us finish it, put it together. And the object being that John was going to drive it. And then by that, when I turned 17, I was going to get the opportunity to sit behind the wheel. Ah. And, uh, you know, you know, the way, the way it kind of turned out is, you know, uh, my dad and John Spencer uh, had a falling out, and uh, you know they still remain friends as of today. But you know Warren Conium stepped into the picture, you know, and Warren was such a good shoe back in the day. Uh, you know, it was hard for my dad to justify that 
you know, well, we'll let Warren drive. And then, you know, Warren started winning everything. And then we went down and ran the Ohio 500 back in the day when they ran five nights, five different tracks. And, uh, you know, we were in contention for the track championship at Oswego. Warren was driving the car and then we were, we were winning and winning and winning and winning. And then, you know, we came back to Oswego to compete because we didn't give up the points championship, but uh, a great job. You know, my dad just couldn't. It was, you know, pretty tough to tell somebody that's winning races and doing a good job for you that, well, you know, it's time to leave, right? My kid's going to take over, right? Yeah. And um, what really happened, yeah, and what really happened in the end, Tom, was that uh, with the cost of racing the car and my dad having a new business, it got to be a little bit more than, than I think he could justify and uh, that's why we ended up selling the car after two years of owning competition. Right? That makes sense. But, oh, my gosh, what a two years, right? I mean, I don't know that maybe, you know, there's a handful at best of other teams in the history of the Speedway that can say that they had a two-year period like you guys did um, because – you know, that two years netted you a classic win and a track championship in a situation where, I mean, again, you started with Johnny Spencer, and as you say, that he and your dad had a disagreement, and and um, and Warren at the time was, uh, I guess, available because he had had some, some motor issues and such with his own car, so let's just drop Warren in it for a couple of weeks and... Um, suddenly magic starts to happen. Yeah, and so, you know, you went from, your dad went from, um, you know, one situation to a temporary situation that turned out to be, it's almost as if that whole thing was meant to happen the way that it ended. I mean, you know, I don't know of too many teams that come into Superman, and there may be zero, actually. Uh, You'd have to go back and look, but to come in in first and second year of of competition, get a track championship or or a classic and a track championship um, back-to-back and such success. I mean, what was that like for you to watch as a young man? I'm sure that had to be amazing to be a part of just as part of the crew, but then also it had to fuel your desire to get in the car and, and, and drive eventually. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, to the kicker was, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people still remember the year we won the classic, um, you know, we, uh, represented the Canadian flag. Yes. I think it was 20 feet by 10 feet tall. Yes. And we stood proud and that happened that, that day actually happened to be my birthday. Oh and wow! Boy, that's, a, that's a memory, and I have a great, I have a great photo of that here at the house, and what a memory, right? You know, to be part of that whole thing, right? Was that amazing. Was, that was your seventeenth birthday. You know? Yeah, and you know what? On that particular day, it's funny because Warren, Warren had kind of asked me that day, you know, what I wanted for my birthday, and I told him the classic. And it's funny <laughs> how he, he brought it home, eh? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's always when I look back at that classic because, you know, as a fan, and I was young, I, I mean, I was five in 1973 when I started going, so I guess that would have made me about nine that year, something like that, and, and you know, I was a Jimmy Champagne and Warren Conium fan, those were the two drivers I kind of gravitated to, um, 
And Kempton Dates had been so strong that year, and he ended up winning the championship and, and obviously was on his way to winning the Classic um, and, and ran out of fuel. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the odd way that that happened, that he didn't win as a driver, but he did win as an owner because you guys wanted a Dates car, and the two of them being such good friends, I mean, the, the sort of irony that's wrapped up in that Classic uh, outcome mm-hmm. is you know, is really interesting when you look back at it. And, and Warren told me when I interviewed him way back when that uh, you guys had switched to gas um, for the Classic, which gave you a little bit better mileage. And um, that may have ended up being what actually won it for you. Well, and, and, and you know, what's funny because when Warren talks about gas, um, the gentleman, uh, you know, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us. I mean, Doug Jones was our engine builder and built some great racing motors. And it was Doug's suggestion uh, to make the car run on Avgas, uh, airplane aviation fuel. And uh, my dad was a little skeptical at first. And uh, Doug said, oh, it'll be great. We'll get, you know, we'll get good power and everything. And and never realized, you know, um, and I know running alcohol at Oswego that you need to at least get four and a half laps to the gallon. Yeah to be able to compete in the classic and carry, carry 55 to 60 gallons of methanol to complete the distance. So when you went to Avgas, we were getting 10 laps to the gallon. Oh, wow. Right? So do the math, do the math on that. I think we started the classic with 28 gallons of gasoline and we still had five gallons or four gallons left in the tank. Right. When the race was over. Wow. Right? So Pretty amazing, eh? It really is. When you think about it, that was still in the period when, you know, it was there was more creativity and, and more options back then in so many different ways. And um you were able to yeah, use and, that. And and fuel wasn't fuel wasn't mandatory right. either, right? Right. So it wasn't mandatory that you could run alcohol. Uh that wasn't stated in the rules that you had to run a methanol burning car, right? I mean today it's different. Right. But you know, in, in, in saying that, you know, it's still something that you could still look at because when you look at, at a regular show there on a regular night to run 45 or 50 laps, you know, we're, we're still carrying in the excess of at least 30 to 30-something 30 gallons of methanol, right? Yeah. If you're getting four laps of the gallon, you need to go 50 laps. You also need to, to compensate, start up. You need to look at how, if there's cautions and all those things. So they... You know, most of the time they want you to fuel for at least 100 laps, 50, right. 50 green fuel for 100, right? So you've got to carry enough fuel for 100. I mean, just think if you've got 10 laps to the gallon, I mean, to go 50 laps, I need five gallons of gasoline. Yeah. And I need another five gallons of gasoline to go the extra. So I'm only carrying 10 gallons of fuel versus carrying 35. Right. right? Yep. Yeah. It's uh, It really yeah. is. Uh, so, those those types of uh considerations were as you said they were allowed back then and and you know the strategy was um i think there's you know the 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 degree of different strategies different things that people did to try and get through the classic and and you know and be in position to win um you could do so much more whereas Mm -hmm. now the box is a lot smaller that you get to play in yeah it is and uh you know, pit stops weren't really something that you did back in the day. And, right. and I know there's a lot of guys that have tried to win it on pit stops. And, you know, I, I think the guys from Oswego 
you know, are trying to avoid pit stops. Uh, I mean, at one time, you know, uh, you could come in and fuel and tires and do everything in one stop. And, you know, of course the rules now change where you only can change one tire per stop. You only right. can fuel uh, at a certain stop. So, you know, you, you don't have the option to come in and, you know, put fuel in and do tires. You, you got to come in, do a tire, then come back in and do fuel and then come back in and do another tire. So they're trying, I think they're trying to get, take you away from doing that is prepare, prepare the car to go 200 laps and go the whole distance without yeah. that. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's their whole objective. Right. So now, but yeah. How frustrating yeah, was it in 1978 to come back and you knew Jimmy had the offset car. How frustrating was it that, and, and how, how, and how bittersweet, I mean, I can't imagine the emotion um, or, or what you go through when you pretty much know that unless that car breaks, I probably am not going to win. And yet ultimately you walk off with mm-hmm. the biggest prize of all. What was that season like for, um, for, for the crew um, and for the team? I mean, you guys gave Warren such great cars all season and, you know, he didn't win a race, but he ends up winning the championship. That's that, that was mind boggling to me as a young kid that year, how, that could happen, but you know, Jimmy broke mm-hmm. in some bigger races. What was that year like for you guys? Well, I think that speaks in numbers on the talent that was involved with the team and the yes, attention to the detail sure. to keep the car consistent every week for Warren. I mean, we ran every race of every lap, and I and I think that particular year, I don't even believe we finished out of the top five on any given race. Right? I'm not sure you did. So yeah, I think you're right. It was a pretty spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty spectacular year. Uh, yeah, disappointing. We didn't didn't get a victory, but at the end of the day, um, what an accomplishment at the end of the year to go there and compete when Jimmy has his alternate equipment, being the offset roaster and the newer engine car, and to still, you know, even though Jimmy had won multiple races, when Jimmy won, we were either second or we were third. You know, so, and that was what the consistency was. And then the nights that Jimmy broke, we were still in that top two or three. And that was the difference at the end of the year. You know, those races he broke and we were consistently finishing in the top five. It it just kept, you know, we just kept every weekend picking our, taking our points and putting them in our baskets. And at the end of the year, there we were, right? So it was good. It was definitely it was fun memory. to watch. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And then, as you say, your dad ended up selling everything. There was a lot of talk about a new car for 79 or whatever, and, and your dad uh, obviously made the decision to, to get out. Um, so then, especially for those who are younger and don't really know your history, how does Dave McKnight Jr. then make his entrance behind the wheel as a driver? How did that come about and, and walk us through the, the uh, kind of the early part of your career a little bit? Well, it was funny because, um, you know, after my father had sold the, uh, the super, um, he did a little bit of late model racing and stock car racing himself. And it was something he wanted to do. And then he ran a, a mini stock, uh, for a little bit. Oh. Um, and I forget, I forget exactly where we were and we had seen the Can-Am midgets, uh, run that day. We okay. were racing somewhere with the mini stock. And that kind of enticed us both a little bit because they were sort of like a baby super modified. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it 
you know, and at the time I was only 17, 18. And, uh, you know, I'd done some driving in the carts and my dad had approached me and said, you know, what do you think if we got one of these and then, you know, you could drive. Right. So we said, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that was the next year for us. Um, you know, we purchased a Can-Am midget from a gentleman named Bobby Myers out in Buffalo, New York. Great guy. Um, we bought his old car. He bought it. He built a new car. Uh, we raced a few, I think we raced about six, five or six races the first year. It's a Can-Am club. Um, we took that car home and, uh, we revamped that whole car to be like a super modified. I mean, we put a torque arm in it. We did all the things that you would do based on the knowledge of what we had when we had the Kempton dates car. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, the following year, we just, we following year, we just went out and obliviated everybody and won a championship in a Can-Am car in our second season. Right. So, you know, it just transpired from that as I got better and got better. Um, you know, I got an opportunity and Warren Conium actually got me the opportunity to drive for, uh, Bob and Ernie June in the 59. Yep. Um, sure. the 50, 59 car, um, that was definitely an eye opener. Um, great people. Um, I had a really bad accident in that car. It really hurt myself. I spent some time in a hospital. I had a lot of time to think about whether I wanted to drive a super. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. It definitely wasn't the best handling race car, right? So, you know, one thing led to another. And, uh, you know, my wife had said, you know, it wasn't the best car. Why don't you, uh, why don't you wait and see if you find something better? And then that's, of course, when uh, I met Al and Janet Bush. Okay. Right? Okay. You know, and I think I think Mike Mike Reuter was driving for them at the time. Yep. And um, they apparently they had got a new show car from Howard Conkey, and Mike Reuter had they'd crashed it pretty bad, and uh, I know they didn't want Mike back in the car. And then uh, Al and Janet had approached me uh, about driving their car. Right? Oh wow! Okay. So and there's another there's another scenario when you think about that. They kind of falls in the lines of my father because, you know, to get the Bates car and in 77, you know, win the classics in 78, win the track championship and then get out. I mean, Alan Janet got into auto racing. They bought a, a show car. I got involved with them and I ran the show car, whatever the rest of the season was. And then we built them a brand new car. And I think when we got the new car, we came to Oswego, and I think on about the third or fourth night out, we ended up winning the feature. I remember right? that. Yep. And then, uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, we one thing led to another. We ha we had some engine trouble. Um, the next year, we we ran a couple of races with the wing and stuff on it, and Al Al just didn't have the money to con to do it anymore, and he sat down with me and he says, I really just can't afford to race the car. And he parked it. And it's just funny that my dad sort of did the same thing. Yeah. Right? You know, the car was number, the car was six. It was oh, that's true. Light. You know, I hadn't thought of that. Until just now, same number. Yeah. 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 We went in there and when I met Alan Janet, we built a new car. It was red and white. It was number six. We ran, we ran a year and a half with them and they called it a day, right? We had some, good runs and we won uh, some races and, and that was the end of it. It wasn't a championship or a classic, but 
they'd never won a feature ever. Right. So to bring that to them was pretty exciting, right? For sure. <clears throat> so when I left Al and Janet, um, you know, I went back to the Can-Am series. And uh, at that time, I was building my own stuff from ground up. And uh, I went on and built another brand new midget car. And uh, we did a multi-valve Suzuki, and it was it was just dominant. Um, you know, we won the 1990 championship uh, with that car. And uh, even before that season ended, I ended up uh, in getting involved with Ron Mucci uh, in, in 1990. And then I got scooped away from that. It went on to win the championship and never finished the last couple of races. Won the championship in 90, then went to drive for Ron Mucci because – AJ Michaels, AJ had got killed yes. the year prior. Yep. And then uh, they took they took a breather. And then uh, when Ron came back into it, he had Terry Johnson driving the car at the time. And I, you know, I guess Terry wasn't getting it done, so they let Terry go. And then uh, Ron had given me a call, and uh, you know, it took off after that, right? You know, the black eighty ninety eight lethal weapon car. Yeah. I think it's still. A lot of a lot of people still remember that car. Is I mean that was a gorgeous race car, and I put a lot of time and effort into that program for Ron and uh, the Mucci family, and and great people. Um, you know, had a lot of great memories with that program, right? So we won a lot of races with them, had a lot of fun, and uh, you know, Ron always liked to have you know outstanding equipment, right? He always wanted right. to look amazing, right? Well, you, uh, what I, what yeah. I'm, what I'm realizing as we, as we talk about the early part of your career, and of course, again, back then I really wouldn't, I didn't know everything, but, um, is that you've never, or maybe have you, I, I guess I'll put this as a question. Have you ever driven anything that was not open wheel, open cockpit? Because so far to this point in the story, it's TQ midgets and, Super modifieds, which is pretty amazing, honestly, when you think about it, because that's, uh, you know, that's um, that's a pretty amazing way to go racing. There was no quarter midgets, no go karts, no, you know, nothing early. You, you started mm-hmm. at seventeen, right in the TQ, and then right into a a, a full blown super modified. Yeah, and then um, uh, I raced. I drove a, I drove the late model. I drove my dad's stock car a couple of times. Oh, you did? Okay. Uh, in a couple of events. Yeah, that was a fendered car. And then um, um, a guy out of uh, guy out of uh, uh, Buffalo. I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, Tom. He had a couple of um, modifieds. Okay. And I came and I raced. I came to Oswego and ran the race of champions in a modified. Oh, okay. Right, I can't um, remember that. I was just trying to think. I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, I think it was Tom something, right? Okay. Um, but uh, I want to say uh, I know it's not Tom Lee Walters, but <laughs> I wanted to say that, but I know it wasn't him. But um, what the hell was his name? He had a couple of cars. He okay. drove himself, right? Okay. Too. So you ran uh, a, a team car, basically. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like to be in a model to get a modified at a Swiggo after running a super there for so long? Actually, it was good because you know what? We went to Lancaster Speedway and he had the two cars. And before we were going to the race of champions, 
Uh, we ran one night at, uh, we ran one or two nights at Lancaster in the car. Okay. And I felt pretty comfortable and, and, and Tom had made some changes and then, uh, we went up to Oswego for the race of champions and actually we qualified for the race. We were running okay. And we broke, we broke our panard bar during the race and the rear end moved over and kind of ended the day for us. But, uh, it was kind of cool. It was cool. <laughs> I'm sure it was, cool. it was, it was different if right? nothing else for you, I'm sure. Um, you know, not at all like driving a super, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> no, and, and you know what? I, I think I've done a good job. I've got opportunities. I mean, I drove Dave and, uh, and Lori Mays super at yes. the classic. Um, we, I drove that car. Me and Louis Sacconi actually shared that ride one year uh, when Timmy J was driving and Timmy J had crashed and had a, and had a concussion and uh, he was out of that. And, and I was driving for Ron and they were running MSA and Louie and I uh, paired up and we shared the ride on the days that uh, he could run and I couldn't and the days I could run and he couldn't. And we ended up actually, the two of us went on to win a championship for them in that car, which that's was awesome. kind of cool. Yeah, right? that's, that's awesome. Well, you were back when you were driving for Ron, That you guys had uh, – you guys had good success, and the thing that I remember most is that, you know, you were just you. I, and and I use the word aggressive in in the most complimentary way possible. You were just one of these drivers that was, it, it, at least that's what it appeared. It, you know, you were on the gas all the time, and you were fun to watch. I mean, it was. Um, you know, that car, you know, just watching the moves that you would make and whether you were running a wing show or you were running at a swig that car, um, I just feel like it was always, you know, of uh, no matter who your favorite driver was, you had to watch McKnight because he was one of the guys out there that was constantly just, you know, right on the edge. And, and that was so much fun to watch you back then. Mm, thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I really hasn't changed. I still no. push myself. Um, you know, and it's it's tough when, you know, equipment is so important today. It is. Because, yeah. you know, all the talent in the world and even guys like Bentley, I mean, you, you, you can only take, you know, a 15th or 20th place car so far on yeah. talent. Yeah. Right? Um, you really need to have the whole package. And it, and, and it just shows, you know, um, and just with the drivers today that are coming on board, I mean, you've got, you've got guys that are coming on board at a swiggle that are spending the money and buying a brand new Hawk and getting everything right and yep. going there and are pretty fast straight out of the box. Right. right. Yep. You know, and, 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 you know, look at just to use Allison slow as an example. I mean, Allison, um, ran okay when she drove for her father. Yep. They, they did okay. Then she had that crash at Lorraine that kind of ended the car. Uh, then Allison got the opportunity to drive for Nakocha and they put Allison in a really good race car. And what does she do? Wins the race. Sure did. Yep. Yep. Right? For sure. Um, you know, you, you couldn't ask to be in a, a more premier ride. I mean, no, you know, Otto and, all. and Johnny Nakocha probably put together one of the best rides down there and uh, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity, especially for her. Right. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that would love to get in those, one of those cars, right. Even including myself. Right? Oh, I bet you would. But, uh, <laughs> hey. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's 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 but, the ride. But you went from Moochie, and did you go from, I'm trying to remember, because I was trying to put together a timeline, and and uh, I think, did you go from Ron straight to Brad Lichty? I, I seem to remember you driving for Gary Sorrell some. Um, I feel like there were a couple of rides that you had that I'm just blanking out on here. Can you kind of give us the timeline? Yeah, well, I... I... Well, I, after, after, uh, Al, I had bumped around a little bit, you know, I actually spent a night, I drove Ramage's car one night. Um, I drove the 27 at Oswego and I forget who the owner of that car was. It was white. It was 27. I drove it a couple nights and then I think Joe drove it in the classic. That was, uh, Jeff Carson. Um, I think I forget. Jeff Carson's car. Jeff Carson. Yeah. 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 I drove yeah. Carson's car yep. a few nights. Okay. I forgot. And then, um, that was kind of a weird deal because, you know, Carson had called me about running the car. I came down and ran a couple of nights for Carson. Then we were going to get ready for classic. And, you know, I showed up to drive the car classic weekend. And then I found out Joe was in the car and I oh, never gosh. got a phone call or nothing. Right. It was kind of, it's interesting. It was kind of weird. That is yeah, weird. Kind of weird. Right. But shit happens. Um, Actually, uh, yeah, after I'd kind of bumped around a little bit, then um, actually uh, Brad Lichty, uh, I had actually, Brian Course is a good friend of mine. Yep. And, you know, I don't know if you ever knew Wimp and Louise, but. Oh, yeah. It was Brian that had called, Brian, Brian had called me and said, you know, you should phone Brad Lichty. He's got some cars and, uh, you know, maybe he can give you a, an opportunity, right? So. I did. I took Brian's advice and I called Brad at his office. We had a conversation and, uh, I talked to his brother, Mike and that, and then, uh, uh, they had a, they had a meeting and it was funny now because, you know, I hear about that meeting that went on and, and, you know, Brad had called his brother in his office and they sat down and he said, you know, uh, uh, Dave McKnight called me, he wants to drive the uh, car for classic, right? What do you think about that? So Brad's Brad was, uh, you know, Brad was, well, you know, he wrecks a lot of shit, right? I don't know, right, you know? So, uh, so anyway, we, we came to a deal, and um, I actually never even sat in the car till I got to the racetrack, right? Oh, wow. Um, we showed up for the Classic, got in the car, and we ended up crashing. Uh, we qualified, but we ended up crashing in the race. And then I found out, uh, Brad had told me after, he said, you know what, that was kind of my fault because he said, we had gone to Sandusky and they ran, I guess, the high miler or whatever. And he had got in the air somewhere down there with, and, and we ended up breaking a torsion bar. Oh, okay. And that put me in the wall at Oswego. So, so he said, you know, I got a feeling that, you know, me getting in the air and coming down not changing the bar, the bar broke and then ended up going in the wall because I had the extra fuel on for the classic, right? Right. So he said, I, I didn't, I didn't think that was really a good fair deal. So he says, you know, why don't you, why don't you, uh, drive the car at Berlin? We'll go to Berlin and you can race the car there. All right. So we went to Berlin and, uh, you know, I led that race till three to go and the fuel pump broke. Right? And I think Schulich went on to win that night. Right. And that was another disheartening evening. Right. So, and again, Brad said, you know, that's, kind of sucks. So why don't you run the next race and the next <laughs> race? And then we started having all kinds of, we started having all kinds of engine trouble, right? So 
at the time, uh, you know, Miles Engineering, I mean, Miles was a motor to have at one point, but um, what Brad was doing is he was sending his parts down to Ohio, getting them machined, and then getting, he'd get them back, and then he would build the engines himself at his shop. Oh, okay. So, you know, when we went to Southern Nationals and uh, we lost the motor in practice, and then uh, we changed the engine, we qualified, and then was leading the race at Southern National and blew another motor the same day. Uh, that was pretty much it for me at that point. I'd had enough. And uh, that's when we had that conversation about engines, and that's when we ended up going to Doug Holmes, right? Okay. And I still remember the first night going to a swiggle with the Doug Holmes motor in the car. We ended up winning the feature, right? So, um, And that was with the wing on, right? So... Then we never looked back after that. It just took off, right? So we got to be very fast after that, right? So that was a, that's been a great, great memory of mine. You know, I drove for Brad for 15 years. I was going to say, yeah. And uh, it's unfortunate. That, it's unfortunate that, you know, we had that lull in the, in the mid-'90s with the economy and everything, and Brad cut back on the car, and it was the car that I was driving. And that's how I ended up in Sorrell's car. Okay. So you ended up uh, going from Brad to to Gary. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so when Brad had called me and said, you know, Dave, he says, you know, um, you know, economy's this, things are tough, a little tight. You know, I had to work with getting Georgia. You know, he had to make some adjustments, and uh, Mike was going to drive, and we're going to park your car, right? And and that was fair. I mean, we had that discussion right from the get-go. And, and Brad always told me, he said, you know, this ride will be yours to the day you hang up your boots or until something happens, right? We had that agreement, right? right? And we wrote that down on paper and we both signed it, right? So great man, a lot of great memories, still really good friends. We talk all the time still. And, uh, you know, hey, would I love to be driving for him again? Sure. But it is what it is, right? So you end up, you end up <clears throat> so going to So then I moved Gary. on to Sorrell's. yep. yep. So I forgot, you know what? I don't even remember. I think Eric called me at home and uh, asked me about driving the car. And I think if I remember, they had just bought, they had bought a hot car off Lusaconi. Uh, and I remember it was all black. We got that car. And I think, I think the first or second night in that, we won the feature. Right, I can't remember. I know you but had I quick think success. The second night in yeah. that car, we ended up. Yeah, I think the second night in that car, we won the feature because I still, I still had my Patco. I think the night I won, I had my Patco uh, Fire driving suit? suit on, my yeah. race gear and everything, because I didn't have. Yeah, I didn't have a Sorel racing suit or anything yet, because it kind of happened that fast. Right? right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's. You know, and again, a lot of good memories with the Sorrells and Brenda and, and and Eric, you know, and Gary and their family. I mean, we had five really good years. We won some races. We had a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's just, again, one of those situations where, you know, until Eric started his new business, uh, I don't think the funding was there as strong as it could be to race the car. And it got a little tight and, you know, that's when that all changed. And that's when, 
you know, Michael Barnes came on board. And of course, Eric had started his hop business and it took off like crazy. Yeah. And that's where that money started changing. And that's why it is where it is today. Right. For sure. So, you know, but, uh, Hey, great, great, great memories. And, uh, you know, again, you know, we parted as good friends. Uh, I don't have any regrets, uh, to the Sorrells. I mean, they offered me good equipment, uh, still have eluded the classic, you know, to run for Sorrell and lead that year ran, I think I led 167 yeah. laps and not win it. And then, you know, the, a couple of years prior to that, led a whole bunch of laps and then got, you know, Louie and I got together and that was the end of that run. And, uh, just it's been there, but I've never been able to complete the mission, you know? So, you know, will I ever complete it? I don't know if I get, if I keep going for a few more years, maybe get an opportunity, maybe, but, uh, you know, Hey, there's a lot of talented drivers that have raced at that speedway. Uh, like, you know, you look at Pat Abold and others that have never won that race and have won a lot of races up there. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's eluded a lot of people and, and there's no shame in that doesn't make you or break you as a driver. It's no. just something you like to have on your resume. Well, right? of course. I mean, it's you the know? ultimate race. Sure. It's the, and it's a hard, it's so hard to win. I mean, as so much has to fall into place yep. for you to be able to pull that off. And, and, you know, it's as much about luck as it is about anything else, because as you say, you lead 160 <laughs> laps and, you know, a crash happens or something breaks, um, you know, that wasn't your fault and it's over. And it's just, that's, it's a that's really okay. hard race to win. I mean, and it, it's, you know, like you said, it's a little bit about luck and timing and being in the right position. I mean, prime example, and, you know, as hard as Pat Abel tried to win that race, never won it. Oh, What happened? Yeah. Jeff gets in the car. Jeff gets, Jeff wasn't even in contention to win the race. Guys run out of fuel, but he's in the right position at the time That's when right. this whole thing happens. Yep. And it takes him to, it takes him to victory. And maybe it's an omen, you know, his dad could never do it, but his dad did it with his son. Yeah. So what a what a great memory, right? What Absolutely. a great memory. Right? Yep, for sure. Now, did you, know? you did you go from Sorrell straight to to uh Gary Morton? How did I I'm trying to think what um what what was in between there cuz you and Gary have been together for a while now and and I love that that partnership between the two of you cuz you're both great guys and an awful lot of fun. Um how how did what what take us from Sorrell's forward? Well, after I'd uh, left Sorrell's, um, I didn't sit idle long. I mean, actually, Gary had called me at home and asked me if I'd come down and race his car. So I met Gary in Stouffville, went up to his shop and seen his hot rod. And uh, the car that he had at the time, I think the car uh, was built. Who, was the, who built that car that he has? It's sort of a Graves copy. Okay. Chassis, but it was, uh, it was built, it was built by Timmy Snyder. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> anyway, when I went to see Gary, I was, you know, leaving Lickies and having absolutely extravagant equipment to race, but to go to Gary's is a whole new world. It's like you just, it's not what you're used to. Right. Right. So, 
one of the one of the conditions for me to drive for Gary was that I wasn't going to drive the car until I completely went through it myself. So he agreed to that. So we ended up tearing the whole car apart and we went through it. And I put it back together and we changed some things. And, you know, we had some trouble with that car. Um, I don't think the chassis was the greatest. And, uh, you know, it just, and we had engine issues, which we still seem to have from time to time. Oh, because yeah. Gary Gosh. is ominous about trying to, he's ominous about building his own motors. And, uh. and it's just something that, you know, he's a great guy, but it's something he shouldn't be doing. Right. But when he's the one fitting the bill, it's it's hard to have that conversation sometime, right? Right. So, but anyway, one thing led to another, and, uh, you know, I sat down and had a conversation with Gary after we drove a year and a bit for him and said, you know, this, if you want to win, this car's not going to do it. We need to do another car. And he says, why don't you, why don't we build a car? He says, I know you've built lots of race cars. I says, yeah, I have built lots of race cars. I built cars for Brad. I built cars for Moochie. I built cars for Bush. I have built a lot of racing cars. So I said, you really don't know what's involved in building a car from nothing because he's always bought race cars. Right. And I said, I would rather buy, I would rather buy a chassis considering it's the time frame and everything. So that's how we ended up with the, with the, um, Brian Allegresso car that we have today. Right. Okay. And, and we had bought that car off of Howie Lane, who didn't like the car. And I, Robbie Summers was the driver, and Robbie wasn't comfortable with the car. He just couldn't get it. They could not get that car to go. So we brought the car home, and then I reconfigured the car to do an independent suspension car. And, uh, you know, we've had some success with it. And I think the car would be a lot more successful if we really had a, a good power plant under the hood. Sure. But... Again, you know, it's all cubic, it's all cubic dollars, right? Right. So, you know, it's where we lie. And I think the car has lots of capabilities. It just, again, it lacks in having a really good engine under the hood, and that, and that's its fallback. Uh, the car's got great brakes. It's got good equipment. It could stays together. It can run fairly quick. Uh, you know, the car could, the car could do a lot if it had a motor and, 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 you know, unfortunately we don't have that, right? So yeah. And it's, it uh, is what it is. Boy, it's right? tough now. And it, it seems like tougher now than ever, like on the ISMA circuit, because the amount of, you know, dollars that they're investing some of them in their motors is just astronomical at this point. Um, you know, and so it would be hard to probably mm-hmm. compete with that unless you have the same amount of dollars, like you just said, right? Yeah, it takes cubic dollars, right? So it's, you know, we like I said, you know, we went down to Winchester. I won Winchester with that car. Uh, we went down to Anderson, uh, won the Invitational in Anderson with that car. Uh, we won uh, at Toledo with that car. Yep. Uh, we've had some good runs at Oswego with that car, been in the top two or three in the ISMA races with the car. Uh, we've led some laps. Uh, you know, we've had some success. Uh, not as much as we would like, but still had some success. So it's been a, it's been a great run and Gary's a riot to work with. Oh, I like can only imagine. Blast, yeah. Right? So despite, <laughs> despite, despite not always getting the outcome that we want, we still have a lot of fun at it and that's important. So, you know, we did that and did that. And then, you know, as everybody gets older, you know, the people that live in Oswego, it's really great that you can go two miles to the racetrack and then you're done racing Saturday night, you go home, you got Sunday. 
you know, on our side of the fence, it's a whole new world because sure. preparation is, you know, we all week, and then you got to make sure you're loaded Friday. You got to drive Friday night. You got to race Saturday. You got to drive Sunday. So there's four days of consistent time that you are literally gone from right. the house, right? <laughs> so, and then when you start bringing in Oxford Plains and Star Speedway and and Thompson, you know, they're 10, 12, 13 hours on the road of traveling. Um, over the years, it's it's paid its toll of Gary. And uh, just doesn't want to do the traveling anymore. So that's sort of uh, that's sort of how the sprint car came up, right? <laughs> so I uh, went to the shop one day, and there was the super, and beside it there was a sprint car. Really? So and Gary, I said, well, just... what are we doing with that? <laughs> yep. He just went out and bought one. That randomly. was Gary's. That went out. Never even told me about it. Just went out. I showed up at the shop, and there it was. And I said, what are we doing with that? He says, well, it's a sprint car. I said, well, I know that. And he says, <laughs> well, we're going to go race it. I said, well, who's driving it? He said, you are. So get in there and see if you fit. So, uh, and that's how that kind of transpired a year <laughs> ago. So that's where we are today. So we ended up getting a, a, a 305, which is the same motor that you guys are running in a limited Super at Oswego, yeah. right? Um, they call it a crate series. So we, we got a crate car a year ago and I had the opportunity to run it six or seven times. And, uh, then I spent one night, I had that opportunity to get into a 360. and man, after I drove that, it was just like, yeah, this is where we need to be if we're going to race this. So then Gary and I got on the hunt to get a 360, which we did this winter. We went out and got a brand new Eagle car. And we picked up a Gertie motor 360. Oh, wow. You know, so we put that, we put that whole thing together this year. Right. So the car we're racing this Sunday night, it's, it's an Eagle. I got a Gertie 360 in it from Hill racing. Um, we ran, they ran that motor three or four times a year ago. And it's, it's an awesome piece. And, and Gary had spent some good money to buy that. So, I think he's learning and he asked that, that, you know, you buy good motor, it's going to work for you and you're not going to have no trouble, right? It's never going to be, you can't say it's never going to be foolproof, but, right, right. you know, less, less chance of if you're buying stuff that you know is good stuff, right? So for sure. anyway, really happy with the engine, really happy with the car. Um, I'm really looking forward to running this Sunday night. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. And the nice thing about it, the whole thing with this is that we can race Friday night or we can race in this case, we're racing Sunday night, but we could race Friday night and the racetrack is 45 minutes from our house. Right. Nice. So we get the same opportunity that everybody at a swiggle has. Right. They can run Saturday night. They can enjoy Friday night. They can enjoy half a day, Saturday, go racing Saturday night, be home and still have Sunday. Right. And now so, you can do the same thing. Had you kind of work. Had you ever driven dirt? Yeah. It kind of works. No. <laughs> no. it's a whole new it's a whole new That's world funny. it's a whole new world hey i have a new car for you i know you never but race me. dirt but yep. <laughs> have fun <laughs> we're going dirt racing what was yeah. that like we're for you racing. actually it was mine the first night in the car i was not on the racetrack i was everywhere else but on the right and then i started to get the i started to get the grip on it and now you know, for me, I had done a little bit and then I watched, I watched, it was funny because I watched Joe Gozik get in that dirt modified and he went, 
I think he went to Fulton or wherever he had. He had the camera in the car. Yeah. And they had it on YouTube. And Joe Joe was running around and running some laps. And I could see in my, you know, watching that through his video, I, I'm thinking in my mind all the bad things that he's doing because he's running so bad. Right? <laughs> and I'm thinking you're doing all the things I was doing. You're, you're trying to drive it like an asphalt super modified, and you, you've got to just turn that right off and forget yeah. about it, right? So, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, whole, it's a whole new world. But I am, you know what, Tom? I'm amazed. Like, I mean, hey, like everybody, I, I always like to go and watch the World Outlaws run and do a few things like that. But until you actually sit your ass behind one of those things, um, to drive... To drive a 30-lap race in a sprint car is way harder than driving 200 laps at a swiggle. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? Physically exhausting, You, it's unbelievable how exhausting it is compared. I mean, the swiggle, you have, the super, you have to be so smooth and subtle, and, and you know, your your moves are very easy in the sprint car. It's a radical and crazy driving, like you're really up on the wheel, and you are busy, man. So 30 laps in that car is a workout, right? So, I bet. But the, the dirt following, the dirt following with dirt these days is just unbelievable. Like, the grandstands and the people, and it's just, Wow. Right? It's like it was in 1977 when we had the Super at right. a Swiggle. Yeah. I remember going to a Swiggle. Back in the days, we'd go to a Swiggle, and you couldn't get a seat for the Classic. You had to pre-order your tickets. Oh, yeah. You had to yep. do all those things yep. so you make sure you had a seat. But today, man, you can walk in there and swing a cot, right? Like, it's just, it's a it's a shame, right? Yeah. It is the way it is. But, well, but, but dirt, wow. I don't think dirt ever stopped being that. I don't think dirt's really had a huge dip. I think, well, in some areas, probably where maybe the economy would hit hard for certain periods of time. But dirt racing, I think, has maintained that Mm -hmm. constant. And um, it's so accessible. And like you said, there's so many more tracks and you've got, you know, choices of tracks to run. And um, but gosh, it just like you said, it it just must have been such a drastic um, culture shock for you to get in that sprint car at that point in your career. Um, you know, after having spent oh, absolutely, you know, absolutely. <laughs> I should have done it twenty five years ago, right? You know, but, but still. Uh, your driving style, I would imagine, would I could picture you being just a bullet in a sprint car, honestly, um, and being so much fun to watch. And and I could picture you smiling right through your helmet too, because I bet you're having a great time running that car. I'm not. I'm having a blast, and and like I said, I'm looking forward to Sunday night, and uh, it should be it should be pretty wild, and. Uh, the, the sprint car, yeah, it's it's a new world, but uh, we're enjoying it. And uh, man, even even you think about think about the payoffs. Like uh, my buddy was in Pennsylvania the other night. He went to Lerner Speedway. They had the World Outlaws yes. there. They ran a they ran a forty lap sh- forty lap show for forty thousand to win. Yeah, whatever it was, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Do the math on that. We were uh, we run a. Even even look at the high miler. I mean, you go to high miler, you're going to run 100 laps for 10,000 to win. Yeah. 
You go to a sprint car show, run run thirty laps for twenty five thousand to yeah. win, or forty thousand to win. <laughs> like it's just crazy. It right? is. And and look at the King's Royal. I mean, you go to World Outlaw King Royal. You go to that race. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of race cars that go to Knoxville and all that place, but winner gets a hundred and fifty k. Yeah, hundred and fifty k. Crazy, right? It's crazy. Mind blowing. It is mind blowing. What are the purses uh, like where you are? What do you run for each week at the tracks that uh, that you're running at with the car? Uh, I believe uh, I think in the three sixties. I think a Schwiegen pays two thousand to win on a regular night. Okay, up there and uh, in the three sixties, and that's twenty laps. Wow! Right. That's well. You wouldn't. I can And you know. Go ahead. And and you know what? It's it's amazing because even when you look at you look at the cost, I think it's busy. Be, and dirt is so right on program right now because you look at the cost. I mean, we bought we bought and using the limited super, so we bought what they call a limited sprint car, which right. is the crate series. We bought we bought that car ready to race. So that was the car, four tires, everything ready to race. You just got to put a seat in the car for $22,000. Wow. Right? Canadian. Canadian. That's with the motor and everything in it, right? So, you know, when you think about that, and then when you think about the 360 series, if I want to take that car and run a 360, all I got to do is change the motor. Sure. Yep. Right. Yep. And 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 not even like this limited three fifty. The limited three fifty that you have now, you got to change the motor and change the tires, right? Right. And then you got a full blown super. You got a full blown super, right? And in the sprint car, the crate car, you don't even change the tires. All you can do is change the motor, right? Yeah. Take the crate motor out, put a three sixty in. Yeah. So our crate car beco- becomes our backup car, right? You know. And even the crate car is not a whole bunch of money. I mean, the motor's your biggest expense. If you buy a motor, I mean, we bought a used motor for twenty some thousand dollars. Right. But at the end of the day, even if you bought a brand new, a brand new three sixty is around forty grand, right? Yeah. So still, comparison, forty thousand, forty thousand for the super motor. But when you start looking at the car, you know, the chassis is twenty eight hundred bucks. You can build the whole sprint car for less than ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. You know, you can't build you can't build a super for ten thousand. Right. I know Joe Hotspe. You know, Hotspe around fifty grand for a roller. Yep. So you know, it's forty thousand over budget, right? So, but all in all, hey, I'm having a ball with the sprint car. It's a new it's a new way of driving. It's a whole new thing. It's a little late in life to be making a change, but at the end of the day, I still I still feel good, still healthy. I mean, I look at even Joe's still going at 64. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Joe's going at 64. And, uh, you know, uh, what's his name there? I was watching the Lucas drag races from uh, the Lucas Raceway the other day. Uh, John Force at seven. Still racing. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> what does that tell you, right? Well, John is, uh, I think John's going to be racing. I think when, when, when the Lord takes him, somehow they're still going to prop him up in the seat and make him go forward. That, that's, he just, um, that man is just amazing for the sport. And, and uh, 
you know, and like you said with Joe, and and it's great to see that the guys like you can go. And personally, I love seeing that you guys can go. Joe's doing the sportsman deal and having the time of his life with it when he gets to go. Um, because he doesn't, it's not mm-hmm. so much about results. Obviously, he'd like to be winning, but he just has fun driving the car. And with you mm-hmm. with the sprint car, I've got to believe. I mean, I know you want to win because I know you're a very competitive guy. But 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 again, just the thrill of of doing that. And I remember back to when Jimmy Champagne got his dirt sprint car. Um, you know, he always talked about how much fun he would have just going to the track and racing mm-hmm. it. And I think you know. Just a different challenge. So even at this time of your life, you can prolong your your career a little bit and and still have some fun much closer to home in a way that's just easier for you in a sense. Oh, absolutely. And and one thing about the sprint car, I'll say, in the short period of time that I've had to wheel that thing, it really teaches you uh, car control. It really oh, gets you up on the else. wheel, yeah, and and teaches you how to really drive. Yeah. You know, so driving a super, driving a super that's a little bit loose is nothing really compared to driving a sprint car where you're constantly in that slide yeah. and constantly focus on steering to throttle control at all the time, constantly, right? So it, uh, I, I can see why when you look at guys you know, like Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon and all those guys that come from dirt and go to asphalt, man, when they make that transition, they're going like, man, this is like nothing, right? Yeah. This is like For sure. easy. Yeah. But going from, going from asphalt to dirt, that's a whole new thing, man, because, you, you know, you've, I think you learn so much more driving the dirt. And when you take that talent and put it on asphalt, it makes you that much of a better driver, right? I mean, and oh, you look I, at a yeah. lot of drivers mm-hmm. that have come from dirt. Like, look at Larson, you know, dirt to asphalt. I mean, then back to dirt. I mean, what is it? What's it tell you, right? Yeah. Talent, right? Yeah. So, well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's a case right there where, you know, you look at it now and you're like, gosh, why would he ever want to go back to NASCAR? It's like, I understand the money's better and, you know, whatever, but. Goodness gracious. I mean, mm-hmm. why would you want to give up? The, Guys on fire. Yeah. Why would you want it? Because it's just never that easy. I don't care who you are in NASCAR. You never see that kind of a 33 race run or 34 race run that he's had, you know, and it's like, well, I've won a quarter yep. of a million in the last couple of months. I'll take a weekend off. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just yep. insanity. <laughs> you know, it's always he's yep. taking a weekend off this weekend. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, and everybody's like, no. And it's just like, well, gosh, let the guy rest. You know, <laughs> he's, he's yeah. you know, he's tired. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Just, you know, that yeah. whole world, I think sprint cars to me are the ultimate race car. And um, I always have. And, and whether you're running them on dirt or pavement, it's still the same unruly car. The difference is obviously between the two surfaces. But, um, you know, and we've got a, a I don't know how familiar you are with this, Dave, but we've got a division. There's a there's a kind of car. I don't even know if they have them in Canada. It's called an outlaw cart. And, and the the open class of an outlaw cart is it, it it's basically a smaller it's like a it, it it it's it's a cart but it's it's built to look like a sprint car you got the wing and all of that and the open class that yeah, yeah. runs here at millbridge um is um the the horsepower to weight ratio from what some of the sprint car guys have told me that have driven them is exactly the same 
So you've got this little little car wow. that looks like a toy, but basically gives you the same, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the the you so you same feel, you know, same degree of difficulty. Um, so you see these guys like mm-hmm. Max McLaughlin, for example. Um, you know, Larson drives them. Um, you know, Bell has driven them sometimes. Rico Abreu drives them a lot. These guys. You know, there's a lot of guys have come up through them and now are into the sprint cars. And, um, you know, you watch these, these you know, 15-, 16-year-old kids at Millbridge doing this in the open class and running on a, you know, sixth, seventh-mile track. Um, it's it's incredible to, to watch the car control they have. And then they get in a late model, which is kind of the thing. Now, if you want to go NASCAR, mm-hmm. you're out and then transition, right? And it's just... The, the instantly they're mm-hmm. winning and it's just well no wonder you know <laughs> you know um when you're used yeah. to driving a beast and then you get into a hearse you know relatively speaking <laughs> it's a little easier to drive that right so <laughs> it's um it's crazy That's right yeah so i'm glad you're having yeah. fun man sure. and i i hate that you're doing it in canada so we don't get to all come watch but uh but we, you know, I'm I'm very very happy to see that you're still going. I love I love seeing. I mean, you know that that you've still got the competitive drive and that you still enjoy doing it. And obviously, uh, hope that eventually we get to see you. I mean, do you plan? What is your plan with the super? Do you have a plan to to run further super modified races at this point? I mean, obviously, I know this year's, you know, but what is the what, yeah, what would well, be the desire? Yeah, Gary and I. <clears throat> Yeah, we had we had we had well before the COVID, we had planned we had planned to come down for the opener to Swigo, then we had planned on Classic, the High Miler, and then we had planned on one or two shows in between. Okay, and that's we were looking at about five races, and then of course the sprint car stuff on top of that, right? So now with COVID, uh, I mean we basically just put the super in the corner and covered it up because um, realistically, the way I, I look at it and the way Gary and I look at it is we look at what's going on down in the United States yep. with the disease. The border's been closed. Yep. The border is yep. closed officially yep. to the end of August. Um, they're going to review it at that point. Um, most people here on the Canadian side of the border, uh, you know, they're kind of getting a feel of what people want. And most people want to see the border closed till 2021. So, we just decided that, you know what, we just call it a year yeah. and just realize that we're not going to run the Super at all this year because even if they open the board at the end of August, I mean, you, that's pretty much Labor Day weekend. Yeah. And you're into classic, right? So, and I would be really surprised, honestly, and not that I don't want anybody to race. I think it, it sucks that we can't race, but, you know, we got a pandemic that's on hand that's killing a lot of people. We need to look yeah. at what's protocol and what we need to sure. take care of. Yeah. Yeah, we want to race, but. I really don't think Oswego is going to get an opportunity to run at all this year. No. I mean, if nothing changes within the next few weeks, well, you guys really only got Labor Day and then that's it, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it, it's, it's, it's so yeah. tough, Dave, because you got it, when you get to that point, you got your two biggest like classic and labor and uh, Super Dirt Week that kind of make your year, right? And you know, but you require a big mm-hmm. crowd. Well, <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's just, uh, it, it is what it is. So, uh, you're right. I think, uh, as much right. as and I Oswego, says, Oswego, you know, Oswego got shut down already twice. Yep. And, and even if, if they, even if the state decided to let them open and say, okay, you can run classic, but you can't have no 
spectators, right? Yeah. You know, that could be, you know, that's the scenario we're at. Okay, we're going to go run Merrittville Saturday night, but we got no spectators. Yeah. We ran Humberstone with no spectators. We ran Brighton with no spectators. But in the sprint car deal, they're all covered. We're covered by GeForce TV, right? So it's all televised YouTube via live stream GeForce television. Right? Oh, okay. So I don't know what the kick. I don't know what the kickback is for the racetrack, but you know you can't you can't you can't run the place on nothing, right? Well, that's the you know? thing. Yeah, you, and you, and you can't. Ex- Go ahead. And if if the code to travel doesn't happen. What are you going to get for classic? You get no cars out of Ohio. You're going to get no cars out of New England. You're going to get no cars right. out of Canada. Yep. You're going to basically rely on everybody that's around in Oswego to fulfill that field, which you really, on a regular show, you get 20 cars, 18 yep. cars, Yep. you know, 19 cars. Sometimes you get 24, but, you know, most of the time it's around 20, you know, on a field that should take 34, right? Well, that's, that's a, the that's thing. A, that's a tough call, right? And even the last couple of years, without yeah. all the other issues, we've been lucky to get, you know, 38, 39, 37. So, yeah, you're right. It's just mm-hmm. I, I can't even, you know, it's so frustrating, right, because we all want to see racing, but you don't want to see a half a show mm-hmm. either. You know, you you want to see no. um, classic no. needs to be classic. Classic would, would be not classic with, 15 or 20 cars it just that just you know um and you can't pay a a big show purse with no fans that's even with you know with the the fact that you guys have tv for example that that you're running sort of weekly shows if you were to try to run a a a a, you know a, a a king's royal kind of show just on you know, um, with no fans, I mean, that would be, you'd be expecting a lot out of your pay-per-view at that point, and it just isn't realistic. So, um, gosh, it's just one of those years, man. But uh, it's great to see that you can still go racing and uh, happy that you and Gary are well and and, uh, look forward to hopefully seeing you, whether it's later this year or whether it's in 21 at some point. I look forward to seeing you guys back at the Big O or back somewhere uh, racing the Super Modified because Mm -hmm. uh, you guys always add to the show when you're there, and it's always great to see you. Well, that's that's great. That's great. And, uh, you know, Tom, also one other thing is that, you know, really – when you look at, I mean, the high miler. I mean, I feel bad for Jay Cox. I mean, I he could have really pulled the plug on that a while ago and just said, you know, just called it a day. But um, you know, it's a shame if and if it was me and I'm going to go to the high miler and I'm only racing. There's only 12 cars in a race. We run 100 laps. I win the high miler. I won the high miler, but did I really win the high miler? I won the high miler, but there was no, you know, there was no Mike Ordway. There was no. Chris Purley, there was no Mike Blickey, there was no me, there was no Joe Gozik. Yeah. You know, all the talent, you know, yeah, you won the race, but there was a lot of guys that have won that race that were never there. And it's like having the classic, you know, okay, you win the classic, but, you know, the the Dave Schulich and the Dave McKnight and, the, and all the guys that come from out of town yeah. to race that race weren't there. Right. So do you do you feel satisfied with that, that you you won the race, but you didn't get a lot of that would be there? Right. Yeah. No, it's a tough deal, Dave, because, you know, you uh, from Kevin's point of view, obviously, you you know, you want to race if you can. And, And of course, I think had he 
Um, you know, had had we not had the re, all of the stuff, you know, with the travel ban that, that's that's happened in New York, if the New York guys could have gone down there, I think you'd have, um, you know, you'd have a, a, a 20 plus car field, which still isn't really a high miler. But right now for for super modified racing, that's about what you get anywhere you go out of town. I mean, Isma's lucky to pull 15, 20 cars anymore when they go race somewhere. So if you could have gotten, you know, 20 or yep. 25, that would have been considered probably a great field, right? So even, and it, but well, but this uh, last bit of where Ohio got added to the the band list, I think that was really kind of, and it's almost too late at that point to cancel it. And you don't know if this is the end of Sandusky or not. So it's kind of, gosh, you would have hate to have gone out without, you know, one last big race, right? So I, I could see both sides of that. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, you know, we're oh, yeah, absolutely. I can too. I can too. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough time right now. Yep. And, you know, hey, it is, it is what it is, right? So, yep. and and then you're right, though. I mean, Isma Fields have been falling off for years, right? Yeah. And you know, Swiggle's got his car car count up a little bit based on, you know, that you've got locals that that race in the area that have cars right. but the traveling tour part of it msa mss isma car counts down yeah it's it's really it's sad but again it all comes back to the to the cost and yeah i mean unless you're building your own stuff i mean to run a super is astronomically expensive it is. and there's i mean ray graham ray graham is a prime example right i mean ray Ray, Ray told me that himself when we called because Gary and I had called Ray about buying the car off of him, one of his cars oh. right, when he sold out. And uh, we had a really good conversation. And then he says, you know, I'm going dirt racing because he says what he bought, Pete Picknell, he told me he bought three dirt modified cars for the price of one super. I bet. Right. Yep. Yep. I believe it. Yeah. He says it's just astronomical, astronomical to have supers. The cost is just out of this world now. And he says, I it's just, it's not worth it. And he says, for what you run for versus what you run on the dirt, you know, he says, I could run, I could run seven nights a week. I got dirt modifieds and in a regular show, I mean, they're paying five, 6,000 a win, right? You know, regular night, right? So, and then you get the big money races that are paying 80, 90, 100,000, right? So, yeah. Yeah. What? Um. So what? I mean, crazy, right? is there anything that can be done to reduce the cost of of super modified racing? Is are we still at a point where if we all got together, what could we do at this point to bring the cost down? Is or are we past the point of no return at this point? In your mind, you know what? I, I, I think your biggest expense is your motor. Yeah. Right. That's your biggest, biggest expense. Because on an average, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, even if you're buying a used motor, but somebody had to pay the full pop on it, right? You're still spending twenty five to thirty thousand dollars for a really good used motor, right? Right. <clears throat> Somehow, you know, maybe having a crate motor for a super. And saying, okay, here's you're going to buy this crated motor. You're allowed to put your fuel injection on it, and that's what you get, right? And maybe it's not 980 horsepower, 
like they are. Maybe it's only 650 horsepower. Yeah. Right there at the, at the end of the day. But I can buy that motor in the box for $5,000, right? Or $6,000, whatever the number might be, right? Yeah. You know? And, and you know, and the cost, you know, there's, a, you know, and then everybody that's running a hot car, unless you, like I said, unless you're building your own stuff, if you have to go somewhere like Allegresso or Hoxby or Coloca, you're going somewhere to buy a chassis, you're, you're spending $40,000, right? right? That's right. a lot of money, man. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Because how many people work at, in Oswego that probably don't even make $45,000 a year? Right. Well, and that's, <clears throat> see, I right? think that's the problem is we've gotten to a point, I feel like, where we, you know, with the current car, which is an aero, you know, centric car, obviously, not just anybody can can build one of those um like you know they used to be right. able to so so how do you if you go to a crate motor you've got all these big big block motors or whatever where do you dump them off how do you get money back out of them to you know to do and and does that interest you know all the people that are running the 900 horsepower cars are they excited about okay now we're only going to have a 650 horsepower car i mean we saw california try that and Basically, the you know the division went went to nothing. Um, it's just it's such a it's such a tough deal right now because I mean while certainly there are things you could do financially, would the the current people involved want to still be involved if we if we really took some of the drastic steps that we need to in order to get them in line? Yeah, and I and I I don't know, Tom, and and maybe you you said it right. Maybe it's to the point where there's no return. Yeah, right. You're already past that point. Yeah, it's just it's an know, interesting there's no time. Return. Yeah. I mean, and the the, the the TQ midgets went through that. You know, yes. we were, when I back yeah, in the day did. when I raced, we were racing a Honda, we were racing a Honda and a multi valve multi valve Kawasaki on alcohol. I mean, when I went to uh, Niagara Racecrafters. And had them build me a Suzuki motor. By the time I was done with the motor, it was almost nine thousand bucks, right? Wow! You know, for a TQ midget motor, right? For like right? five hundred to win so or where whatever, are they today right? Is, yeah. Is, yeah, where are they today? Today is great. I can buy. I mean, the rule states you got to buy. You got to use the Suzuki motor or Cowie motor, whatever it is now. Yeah. But it has to be right out of a bike. Right, so you get it from the wreckers for like eight hundred dollars or a thousand bucks, and uh, you put it in your car and you go racing. Right? Yeah, you know. Yep. Yep. And, and and you know you don't you don't push start anymore. It's nice they can just start them up and drive on the track. It speeds up the show. You know, there's there's so many things, right? Yeah. Uh, but where do you go with the supers? I, I don't know. And I love the class. I mean, like oh, me most too. guys, I mean, I've raced them for 35 years of my life. Right. So yep. yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know how you make it stronger. And it's, you know, we keep reading about everybody says, well, MSA and ISMA and Oswego and everybody should get together and, and support each other. I, I agree, but you know, is should there only be one sanctioned body and everybody's a part of it? I, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, right? Well, you know, and it all comes down to traveling because, you know, people from Ohio don't want to come to Oswego because it's seven hours. Oswego guys don't want to go to Ohio because it's seven hours. You know, you get the traveling involved and the cost and the hotels and, 
you know, that whole enchilada, it, it adds up. And, you know, even for us to come to Oswego's, you know, five and a half, six hours over the road. So you got to look at by the time we fuel the transporter, that's $600. And when you need two sets of tires for the night, you know, that's, that's another $2,000. Now we need, then you need a hotel room for a night. That's 200 bucks. You know, we're, we're into the latter part of $2,500 and we haven't even left the shop yet. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing. The tires are just, um, I mean, if you could ever get to the point where you weren't having to buy new tires every week, that would really, and again, I'm just speaking from a cost standpoint. Um, you know, I don't drive the cars, Mm -hmm. so, you know, but that's the motor and tires have always been the thing and it's always been, well, we could do this, but then, you know, nobody'd want to race the cars if, you know, or whatever. And and you look at the travel and it's like, well, you know, that that never used to be an issue. If there was a super race over here, everybody went, you know, and, and, but now it just seems like it's, it obviously travels much more expensive, but again, that's relative because back 40 years, the dollar and the salaries were less, but it's, it's still a big expense. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't, it does seem to be a group now that doesn't seem to want to travel back and forth as much as the guys that did it you know, in the seventies, eighties, nineties used to, um, you know, and, and yep. I think it's harder too, cause it seems like there's even more handmade parts on these newer cars than there used to be on the older ones. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and like you said, not only the traveling costs, it, it, it affects the fans and the stands yep. too, because, yep. you know, when you go back to 77 to the mid eighties, I mean, <clears throat> I, I know all the nights I was at a Swigo given races, there wasn't a night that the front grandstands weren't full. Yeah. Back in the day when oh, Sam Pine yeah. and everybody yep. ran, there wasn't a yep. night the front grandstands weren't full. Yep. And, and, you know, again, it all comes back to the cost of living. So, you know, the average guy that that makes 50000 a year and his paycheck is whatever, you know, for him to go to the racetrack on a given night and it's, you know, it's it's $10 a head to get in, it's $50. Now it's a $100 night if he brings him and his couple of kids and his wife. And, uh-huh. you know, it's, you know that, and the cost of living and everything that's going on in the world, the people are are saving their money to do other things with it that is more essential, right? So yeah, that's you know, so that's it's, it's sad, but it's just the way it is. It's the world we live in today, Tom, for sure. Right? Yep. Well, it certainly was. Uh, I mean, it to to be able to have watched you for all these years uh, uh, has been a real thrill, and and I know that you know that there's. Uh, you're still going, and, and now that I know there's, I did not know that your races were actually available to watch. Uh, I'm going to have to investigate that and uh, and check out what's going yeah. on uh, with your series, G-Force TV, you said on YouTube, right? Yeah, yep. Yep, that's what's covering it, and uh, yeah, it's been good. They've been uh, great, and uh you know, I, I thank the, the speedways around here that are putting on the shows. For sure. With no spectators. Uh, Got to be not easy for them. But at the end of the day, uh, we're fortunate enough to <clears throat> at least be able to get to race a little bit. And uh, it's kind of nice to, especially changing from supers to dirt cars, that we get some seat time before we get into a really rock and roll season, which hopefully may all happen next year, right? So, yeah, but for we'll sure. See. 
Yeah. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate your time, Dave. It's been a lot of fun to sit and uh, kind of look back with you and learn a little bit more about uh, your career and and just have some fun talking racing with you. And uh, we wish you the best with a sprint car. And now that we know that uh, now that there's a way to, to tune in and watch, I'm sure a lot of people listening will be wanting to investigate it just like I will be. So we can uh, we can tune in and check you out what you're doing over there in Canada on the weekends with the sprint car stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we're hoping that, uh, you know, Gary and I already discussed that if the border does open up before Super Dirt Week, uh, we were thinking of maybe take an adventure and go down to Fulton and run the dirt car there uh, nice. during the week of Super Dirt Week because they have the race on at that place. So we, we're on agreement on that. It's just a matter of whether we can get there, right? So, For sure. Yeah. Anyway. Well, have a have a great rest of your day and enjoy the 2020 season that you're going to have over there with the Sprint Car. We hope that uh, uh, hope that you have some great success with that. And again, we look forward to seeing you as soon as we can all get back together again. Uh, you know, super modified style, and and um, you know, again, just uh, stay safe, and and uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Okay, Tom, thanks for the time. Appreciate you having me on. Yes, sir. And uh, that is Dave McKnight. We are going to step aside, and when we come back, we will have more of the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. Stick around. Victory Custom Trailers is a new and used trailer and RV dealership specializing in motor coaches, toter homes, race trailers, stackers, and lift gates. Their number one priority is to provide the absolute best customer service and deliver the finest quality trailers and coaches with flawless fit and finish. With over 200 coaches and trailers in stock, they are sure to have what you're looking for. If you're looking for something more custom, they can assist you in designing a trailer to meet your specifications so you will not be disappointed. In fact, you can design your very own trailer right from their website. For more information, just go to the website. You can check their inventory online. It's VictoryCustomTrailers.com. That's VictoryCustomTrailers.com. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financially it is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we... Uh Come back after our feature interview. Want to say thank you to Dave McKnight Jr. for taking the time to sit and talk with me today. Uh, just a a fun guy to talk to. Uh, has seen so much history between uh, what he's seen as obviously as a fan and with his dad's racing and all that that team accomplished in a couple short years. And then, of course, with his own driving career as well. Uh, I think uh, there was probably about another hour there I could have gotten out of him. But uh, 
Um, it felt like after last week I ought to try to uh, make the show a little bit shorter and sweeter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, uh, I want to say thanks to all of you for the compliments um, about last week's interview with um, Sandy Swift Downey, too. Um, Sandy just, that was amazing. It's, it's hard to explain uh, to those of you who listen to this show, it's hard to explain what it's like to be in my situation and actually be involved in an interview like that. It's, um, it's really a fly on the wall situation. I mean, I just, um, um, I've had people ask me, how do you do an interview like you do? And the, the answer is I just talk to them. You know, you do have to obviously know the story, so to speak. So it takes some preparation, but really what I've always tried to work for with the interviews that I do, and especially in my more recent media days, I think I've been just more conscious of it, is that I want it to be a conversation. I want it to feel like each of you are a fly on the wall, just, uh, you know, sitting out in the back porch with us, uh, having a lemonade, sitting in a couple of white rocking chairs and just talking about racing. That's really, um, that is exactly what I try to do. And, you know, Sometimes the subject is better than others, and it's it's not always what we talk about, but it's who the subject is and how they approach it. And again, that was just it was incredible. Um, I went back and listened to it the other day, and after you know you got to get some distance from it because once you you know play with the editing and all that, and I try not to take too much out. I don't want to make the show's too perfect. I don't want them to be sterile. I want it to be like we did it, unless there are just some really awful sounding mistakes or, you know, some sort of a technical glitch. I try to leave leave it pretty well alone in that sense and just work on, um, you know, variations in volume and such and do all the little tweaks that you do in a post-edit to, to make it all sound the same sonically so you're not having to turn your volume up and down so much. Um but man, that that was just amazing. So thanks again to Sandy Swift for taking the time. She was she was just uh um just a, a lot of fun and it and it just sometimes it just um elevates to a different level. So for me, um it isn't so much I mean I, I it, it really isn't so much my my expertise or whatever. It's not about that at all. It's it's really more about um, just being able to react and just uh, work with the subject you got. And and uh, the concept of, of what is it like to be the daughter of a legend was really what I was trying to shoot for there. What was all of it like from her perspective? And boy, she delivered um, a, a, a grand slam home run. Um, that was uh, that was awesome. So again, thanks to all of you for the compliments and, and mostly thanks to you for the compliments to Sandy, because I, I'm sure that made her feel very well. Um, very good. And, and she deserved all of it. It was fun. Um, so other than that, we have two more short, uh, little pieces of business to do here. And then I'm just going to close this up and get it on its way to you. Um, the first is that, uh, this is episode 53 and we, uh, we play the number game every week and, um, I want to give you the list of drivers that I remember who ran the number 53. All right. So all of you just kind of pull up tight to your device and listen closely because it's a long list. Here we go. Dale Sharkey. That's it. <laughs> it's the only one I remember. That may be the one of the loneliest numbers 
on the entire roster in the history of supermodified racing in Oswego. If any of you know of another 53, please make sure I know about it because I cannot think um, of another number 53 that's ever been run in supermodified form at the Oswego Speedway. So if, you, um, if you've got one... Uh, by all means, let me know. I started to tell myself Jamie Letcher earlier, but I think he was 58. So uh, I think Dale was the only one who ran that number 53. Uh, and uh, I I just enjoyed Dale running, and I, I always liked Dale. So, uh, you know, Dale's a friend of mine. I look forward to talking to him whenever I could in the pit area and all that. And uh, just a fun guy. Um, and uh, hated, obviously, the way his career ended. Um, but, uh, he just was a lot of fun. So there you go. There's your long list of 53s. If you can add to it, please do. Cause I would love to know, um, last order of business, quick Sandusky update. I don't have a lot for you, but, um, my eyes and ears on the ground did tell me a while ago, um, that as of that time, there were 16 cars, uh, Brandon Bellinger was, um, in route, and uh, I know Keith Champagne was going to run the 55, and um, that would be his first wing start with that car. Uh, he's had some other wing experience. I think he drove for Howie Lane one time. I think he drove for Steve Miller one time in a backup. I think the backup 16. I think that was at a Swiggo. Howie was down here, I believe. Um, and gosh, I want to say maybe he drove for Gary Morton once. Now that I'm thinking about it, but I don't know. I'll have to ask Keith about that um, the next time I talk to him. I'll see if I can figure that out and let you know next week. But I think he might have jumped in the 70 one time. I'm not sure. Um, but anyways, uh, so there are 16 of them. And I'm going to just softly disagree with Dave McKnight. A high miler is a high miler. You beat who's there. I think this is going to be a case of quality over quantity. Um, I think there are going to be about uh, four or five cars at least that are plenty capable of winning that race. Uh, maybe more like 8 to 10, which would be half the field. Um, you'll have, I th- I'm sure, some classic. You're going to have Dave uh, Dave Schillick Jr. In, in one of the Acme cars. you got Trent Stevens in the other one. And you're going to have uh, Rich Reed. Uh, you're going to have Keith. Um, I'm not sure what to expect out of Brandon with a wing because I don't know. I, I know he used to run with a wing. I'm trying to remember if he ran this car. I guess he did for a while with a wing. Um so I really don't, you know, quite know where to put him in that. And I don't know who else may be coming from New York, but it seems at least we've got a couple. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that it's um, it's a good, safe weekend of racing for everybody. And that's going to wrap it up. Uh, hopefully somebody will keep me informed throughout the weekend there. Uh, and I'll do my best to pass word along as I get it. I'm sorry I couldn't be up there, but uh, just wasn't to be this year. I hate that. I'm hoping that uh, this is not the end for Sandusky. I'm praying that somehow... Uh, somebody gets a hold of it and will uh, give it some TLC that it needs and and bring it back a little bit and keep it in the fold because that would make uh, uh, you've got a new ownership group for Lorraine and I know they have huge plans for that track and super modifieds are very much a part of it so um, hopefully this won't be it for Sandusky but I do hope that uh, Kevin Jaycox uh, has a great weekend out there and I hope everybody that is there is uh, safe and in their travels and, and enjoys the weekend and um, look forward to bringing all the information I can get to you next week on episode 54 of the Inside Groove. Until then, for 
the fine folks at Skip's Fish Fry, IPC Indy, and JNS Paving. And for Dave McKnight Jr., I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. Have a safe and happy weekend and week. Keep your loved ones close to you and uh, look forward to catching you all next week for the next Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.